We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And away we go, episode 290 of the Al Galdi podcast. It is Tuesday, April 12th, 2022. The weather in the Washington, D.C. area finally, mercifully, is supposed to start feeling like spring. Uh, That's a good thing. We deserve that. These last few weeks have been like the worst weeks of spring weather I feel like we've ever had. Maybe that's an overstatement of things, but it has felt that way. Uh, That's DC weather, though, right? We go from 40 to 90 with, like, no transition. Uh, All we want is the transition. All we want is a few months of, like, being in the 60s and the 70s. Is that too much to ask? I feel like we never get that. But anyway, good to have you with us on a Tuesday installment of the podcast. Hey, if you have $2 billion lying around, you can buy yourself our baseball team in the nation's capital. The learners certainly appear to be open to selling the Nationals, if not outright wanting to sell the Nats. Uh, Stunning news on Monday afternoon, and this is news with potential massive implications. Uh, I will react to the news coming up in a bit. I tell you, Dan Snyder must be laughing like crazy, okay? He has got to be laughing like a madman right now. I mean, here we were thinking that Dan might be out as owner of the Commanders, and instead, it may well end up being the learners who are out as owners of the Nationals. Uh, Speaking of our Commanders, next segment, I'll discuss some Commanders news from Monday. Uh, The Commanders announced the re-signing of restricted free agent kicker Joey Sly, to a two-year contract. Uh, Joey Sly did quite well as commander's kicker last season, but the commanders earlier this offseason re-signed another kicker. Uh, They re-signed Brian Johnson as an exclusive rights-free agent, so the commanders have two kickers. Uh, Now, Sly would seem to be the guy, uh, but is the team now embarking on a new strategy of carrying two kickers? I'll get into that and a lot more. Uh, We will continue talking Dwayne Haskins of his tragic death on Saturday morning. Special guest on the show, Doug LaMaurice, columnist for Cleveland.com, the co-host of the Buckeye Talk podcast and of the College Football Survivor Show 
podcast. Uh, Doug wrote a very good piece on Dwayne's legacy at Ohio State of Dwayne's death. We'll talk about Dwayne's legacy with the Buckeyes, him having beaten out Joe Burrow to become the Buckeyes starting quarterback. And we'll discuss some non-Dwayne Haskins items having to do with the commanders in Ohio State, including the success of Terry McLaurin, as a commander's receiver, and what the commanders would be getting if they took one of the two big-time Buckeyes receivers in the 2022 NFL Draft, talking about Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave. Uh, Also on the show, discuss victorious Mondays for both the Nats and the Orioles. Uh, For the Nats, an 11-2 win at the Atlanta Braves on Monday night. The Nats ripped the Braves and in Atlanta. Uh, For the O's, a 2-0 shutout of the Milwaukee Brewers at Oriole Park at Camden Yards on Monday afternoon as Camden Yards was rocking 44,000 plus. Uh, The place was sold out. We sure have not said that often in recent years. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Email from Eric E. on the death of Dwayne Haskins. Writes Eric, I was truly saddened to hear the news of Dwayne's passing. My heart goes out to the Haskins family. Regardless of what happened or didn't happen during his time in Washington, it's a tragedy for a young man who had his whole life ahead of him. I was born and raised in Northern Virginia, big Skins fan, moved to South Florida 25 years ago. When I read about the circumstances of Dwayne's death Saturday, my first question was, why the heck was he trying to cross I-595? I've driven that highway many times over the years and in a car, it can be a very dangerous and hairy highway to navigate. It's four to five lanes wide at points and intersects with I-95, Florida's Turnpike, I-75, and several other exits in between. No one in their right mind should attempt to cross that highway on foot, especially at a time in the morning when it's still fairly dark out. I'm sure more details will emerge as the circumstances of Dwayne's death are fully investigated because I just can't get past why he was where he was when he was. Regardless, my thoughts and prayers go out to his family, friends, and teammates. R.I.P. Dwayne. Well said, Eric. Well said. Email from Jimmy in Connecticut on something that I talked about on Monday's show, episode 289, the many empty net goals for the Capitals' Alex Ovechkin this season. Uh, Ovi this season now has nine empty net goals, tying Pavel Bure's single-season record for most empty net goals in a regular season. Bure set his record in the 1999-2000 NHL regular season. And I wondered whether scoring empty net goals is more a function of skill or luck. Well, writes Jimmy, I love the show. I've been listening since episode one. I live outside the DC area now, but my routine over the last year has been listening to you on my morning commute and Kevin on my evening commute. So I thank you and Kevin for all of the work you both do to make me feel at home still. Uh, Thank you for that, Jimmy. Continues, Jimmy. You mentioned on the pod on Monday that you weren't sure if empty net goals are a function of skill. With Ovi, I don't think it is. I made a bet 10 years ago that Ovi would break Wayne Gretzky's goal-scoring record, so I've been watching this closely. There has been a concerted effort on behalf of the Cavs to get Ovi the puck when the net is empty. When you are looking for it at the end of games, it is very easy to see. 
Take Sunday afternoon's goal, for instance. If the objective was simply to score a goal and ice the game, Kuzi would have shot nearly immediately after getting the puck across the red line when his path was clear. Instead, he held the puck for a few seconds, forcing Mike Riley to draw into Kuzi, at which point Kuzi flips the puck to Ovi for the pot shot. In watching the replay, Kuzi's first look when receiving the puck isn't to the net, the look is to the center of the ice looking for a pass. When you are playing against an empty net, you typically put out your penalty-killing unit as the players on the penalty-killing unit are most used to playing a man down, which is the case with the goalie pulled. The difference being you have five skaters instead of four. I don't think it is a coincidence that Ovi is the fifth skater when he rarely plays on the penalty kill. In fact, when there is a bench minor, it is almost always Ovi who serves the penalty because they know he doesn't play on the penalty kill. The Caps lead the league in empty net goals this year with 19, and Ovi has nine of them. That can't be a coincidence. You often see this at the end of a season two when a guy only needs a goal or a point to hit a milestone, but I think the Caps have been doing it so Ovi has a better shot of catching 894. However, I do think this speaks to what kind of a leader and teammate that Ovi is because clearly his teammates want to see him score goals and catch Gretzky. If Ovi was a polarizing figure or disliked, I don't see his teammates being so unselfish with the net empty. I know you are a stats guy, so there are also some stats to back this up. Consider this year, the Caps have had 32 empty net opportunities in 70 games. That is 45% of his games, and he has nine empty net goals. Moreover, the Caps lead the league with 19 empty net goals, but are also top five in allowing a goal when the opponent's net is empty with seven. This speaks to the fact that the Caps may at times be looking to score for Ovi rather than solely concentrating on defense. Uh, Great stuff, Jimmy. I love it. High-level hockey talk on the Al Galdi podcast. Always know Uh, This is a show on which we do not neglect sports that are not football. Uh, We talk a lot of football on this podcast, no doubt, but Caps fans, to me especially, are underserved in the Washington, D.C. market, and I myself am a Caps fan, and part of the mission of this podcast is to correct the underserving of Caps fans. Uh, I talk Caps after every Caps game. I'm looking forward to the Stanley Cup playoffs. Uh, email from Mike P. writes, Mike, I apologize. I was not able to listen to your pod last week as I was getting married in Mexico. It's official. Any advice from the Don G? Last week was the first day slash week I've missed your show dating back to 2017. I feel really bad, but I'm going to skim through it all over the week. Uh, Mike, thank you for the email. You are excused from not having listened to the podcast last week, but you better do your makeup listening this week. Uh, Congratulations to you. Hope your Mexican wedding went well. I'm sure that it did. Uh, As for advice, uh, trust me, you don't want marriage advice from me. What I can do for you, though, is give you marriage advice from the greatest expert ever in marriage. And that expert is the late, great Rodney Dangerfield. Now, Rodney Dangerfield was mostly before my time, but Rodney stands the test of time. And so here's some of the best (laughs) of Rodney Dangerfield from The Tonight Show. 
I tell you, I can't relax, you know? Uh, the other night I was in a place I felt like having a few drinks. Someone over to the bartender, I said, surprise me. He showed me a naked picture of my wife. <laughs> now you can, I know my wife cheats on me. Every time I come home, the parrot says, quick, out the window, you know? <laughs> my sex life is nothing. My wife cut me out to once a month. Cut me out to once a month. Oh, I'm lucky. Two guys I know she cut out completely. <laughs> I'll tell you one thing, though, when I have sex with my wife, it's like magic. As soon as I get in bed, she disappears. <laughs> oh, the other night, she met me at the front door wearing a see-through negligee. The only trouble is, she was coming home. And smoking, that's another one. Yeah. Try to stop smoking, that's a beauty, huh? Well, with cigarettes, my wife and I, we made a deal, my wife and I. We yeah. only smoke after sex. I got the same packed house since 1975. <laughs> what bothers me is my wife. She's up to three packs a day. <laughs>
to a two-year contract. Yes, jacked up. Joey Sly has been re-signed. Seriously, have you ever seen a kicker more jacked than jacked up Joey Sly? Uh, I have not. Uh, now, the Joey Sly free agency had lingered for a while. He was a restricted free agent. Uh, the commanders on March 16th announced that they had issued a restricted free agent tender to Sly. Uh, usually, when a restricted free agent is issued a tender, he ends up resigning with the team via that tender. But nearly a month went by. We heard next to nothing about Sly. And then we got what we got on Monday morning. So ultimately, Joey Sly gets a contract that is better than the restricted free agent tender. He got himself a two-year contract, a restricted Free agent tender is a one-year contract. So you likely remember the extreme chaos that Washington had at kicker last season. We went from Dustin Hopkins as Washington's kicker to Chris Blewett as Washington's kicker to then Joey Sly as Washington's kicker to then Brian Johnson as Washington's kicker to then back to Sly as Washington's kicker. Uh, Washington, this past November 9th, signed Sly as an unrestricted free agent, as a corresponding roster move to Washington, releasing Chris Blewett, who over two games as Washington kicker Blewett. Uh, he went just two of five on field goal attempts, with all three misses being blocked field goal attempts. Uh, Sly, in the 2021 regular season, had been the Houston Texans kicker for three games in September, and the San Francisco 49ers kicker for three games in October. Sly, over his six total regular season games in 2021, prior to signing with Washington, had gone 11-13 on field goals, including 3-3 on field goal attempts of at least 50 yards. But Sly, over his six total regular season games in 2021, prior to signing with Washington, had gone just 9-12 of on extra points, including just a 2-4 of on extra points over his three games with the 49ers in October. So Sly comes to Washington. And he ends up being great. Uh, Joey Sly in the 2021 regular season, over six games for Washington, went 12 of 12 on field goals and 9 of 10 on extra points. Uh, Sly went 2 of 2 on field goal attempts of 40 to 49 yards and went 1 of 1 on field goal attempts of at least 50 yards. Now, he did miss time due to injury. Uh, Sly was on the reserve injured list from this past November 30th to this past Christmas due to a hamstring injury that he suffered in the 17-15 win over the Seattle Seahawks at FedEx Field on Monday Night Football in Week 12. But Sly then got his job as Washington kicker back, and he continued to do well. A Sly in the 2016 loss to the Philadelphia Eagles at FedEx Field in Week 17 connected on a 55-yard field goal with one second left in the second quarter for a 16-7 Washington lead. So Joey Sly overall in the 2021 regular season went 23 of 25 on field goals, including four of four on field goal attempts of at least 50 yards. Now, what's especially interesting about the commander's kicker situation is that they do still have Brian Johnson. Uh, the commanders on March 16th announced that they had tendered kicker Brian Johnson as an exclusive rights-free agent. Uh, Washington this past November 30th, signed Johnson off the Chicago Bears practice squad as a corresponding roster move to putting Sly on injured reserve. Johnson in the 2021 regular season served as Washington's kicker for three games. He in the 17-15 win at the Las Vegas Raiders at week 13 and his Washington debut attempted just one field goal, but the field goal attempt was a massive one on which he connected a 48-yard field goal for a 17-15 Washington lead 
with 37 seconds left in the fourth quarter. And so Brian Johnson actually stuck around with Washington even once Joey Sly came back. Washington, for each of its final three games in the 2021 regular season, had two kickers on the team's active roster, Joey Sly and Brian Johnson. And for each of those games, Sly was active and Johnson was inactive. Uh, What's funny about Joey Sly and Brian Johnson is that these two guys are connected in a variety of ways. Uh, Each guy is a local. Uh, Johnson succeeded Sly at Virginia Tech. Uh, Sly went to North Stafford High School in Stafford, Virginia, and then to Virginia Tech. He was a Hokies kicker from the 2014 through 2017 seasons. Johnson went to Gonzaga College High School in Washington, D.C., kicked collegiately at Virginia Tech. He was a kicker for the Hokies from 2017 through 2020. Uh, Also, regarding Joey Sly, uh, he is a certified member of the Carolina Mafia. Yes, you never need to look too far for another member of the Commander's Carolina Mafia. Uh, Joey Sly went undrafted in the 2018 NFL Draft, finally signed with an NFL team in the New York Giants as an undrafted free agent in May 2019, but he ended up making his NFL regular season debut for the Carolina Panthers in September 2019, when, of course, the Panthers had Ron Rivera as their head coach. Uh, Graham Gano missed the final four games of the 2018 regular season and all of the 2019 season due to an injury in his left leg, his plant leg. The Panthers uh, released Gano in July 2020. So there's another Washington-Carolina connection, right? The former Redskins kicker, Graham Gano, who ended up becoming a very good kicker for Rod Rivera and the Panthers for years. And then it was Joey Sly who came to the Panthers due to Gano being injured for the Panthers. There is very much an incestuous nature to kicking in the NFL. You know, one guy replaced another guy with one team, and then the guy who got replaced with that one team ended up replacing the other guy with another team. You know, you have all kinds of situations like that. Uh, Joey Sly was the Panthers kicker for the 2019 and 2020 regular season. Sly, over those two seasons, went just 15 of 19 on field goal attempts between 40 and 49 yards. Sly, over those two seasons, went just 9 of 17 on field goal attempts of at least 50 yards, although he went 8 of 11 on field goal attempts of at least 50 yards in the 2019 regular season before going just 1 of 6 on field goal attempts of at least 50 yards in the 2020 regular season. So his run as Panthers kicker wasn't great, but his run as Washington kicker last season was great. And Sly overall last season in kicking for three teams did quite well. Uh, Rod Rivera's decision to go with Chris Blewett over Dustin Hopkins was a very bad decision, as we now know. But it may well be that the commanders ultimately have landed on their feet at kicker because Joey Sly can kick. Uh, What's going to be interesting to see is does Ron now want to have two kickers on the team in some form, uh, either with both kickers on the active roster or one kicker on the active roster and one kicker on the practice squad, right? We had this massive kicker uncertainty with Washington last season. Uh, Washington had to deal with a kicker in Joey Sly getting injured in that win over the Seahawks at FedEx Field on Monday Night Football and then not having a backup kicker plan for the game. And then Washington had to scramble to find itself another kicker, period. Uh, But to me, there is a reason that the commanders this offseason have re-signed both Joey Sly and Brian Johnson. Having two kickers on the active roster may be a bit extreme, but having a kicker on the practice squad 
isn't a bad idea. So if your number one kicker, you know, your kicker on the active roster gets injured as Sly did last season, you already have your next man up on the team. I think that idea does make sense. Uh, Well, what also makes sense, uh, what is in fact a great idea, is working with ImageWorks. If you own, run, or work at a business that you want to grow, if you want your business to generate more revenue, then you got to work with ImageWorks. ImageWorks is a full-service boutique web design branding and marketing company. And ImageWorks right now has a special offer for listeners of the Al Galdi podcast, a free review of your website and SEO visibility to establish a base of where you are and map a chart for where you want to be. Let ImageWorks tell you how your website can be even better. You have nothing to lose. Take advantage of this free offer. Go to imageworkscreative.com, click on contact near the upper right corner, and make sure that you mention the Al Galdi podcast for the free offer. That's imageworkscreative.com. You can go to it right now. Image, one word, works, plural, creative.com. Check it out for yourself. Imageworkscreative.com. Click on contact near the upper right corner and make sure that you mention the Al Galdi podcast for the free offer. You can also call or text the owner of ImageWorks, Scott, at 703-928-7309. That's 703-928-7309. Just make sure that you mention the Al Galdi podcast for the free offer. Uh, ImageWorks and you can plan a success strategy, create exceptional brand and web experiences, market your business to your customers, evolve your brand and website experience, and so much more. Go to imageworkscreative.com, click on contact near the upper right corner, and make sure that you mention the Al Galdi podcast for a free review of your website. ImageWorks, creative minds focused on one goal, your business success. All right. Well, one of the best things that was written off the death of Pittsburgh Steelers quarterback and former Washington quarterback Dwayne Haskins on Saturday morning was a piece on Cleveland.com by Doug LaMaurice. Uh, Headline, Dwayne Haskins was an Ohio State Buckeye unlike any other, and he shared the joy of his amazing journey. Uh, Doug LaMaurice is a columnist for Cleveland.com, and he is the co-host of the Buckeye Talk podcast and of the College Football Survivor Show podcast. You can follow Doug on Twitter at Doug LaMaurice, which is spelled L-E-S-M-E-R-I-S-E-S. And Doug joins us now on the Al Galdi podcast. Doug, it's very nice to talk to you. How are you? I'm doing okay. Thanks for having me, Al. I appreciate you coming on. It was really interesting reading what you wrote about the legacy of Dwayne Haskins at Ohio State. You wrote, quote, what Ohio State football was and what Ohio State football is changed through Dwayne Haskins. He was transitional and transformational and therefore unforgettable, end quote. Uh, You write about this in the piece, but in what ways was Dwayne transitional and transformational for the Buckeyes? So he hit at a transitional time for Ohio State. He's the starting quarterback for the last year of Urban Meyer, and he's the starting quarterback for the second year that Ryan Day is the offensive coordinator. And they change in that time. Urban Meyer loved running quarterbacks, right? He loved the dual threat from Tim Tebow to Braxton Miller to JT Barrett. He really wanted that run threat from a quarterback, but they recruited Dwayne Haskins knowing that that really wasn't Dwayne's game at all. Um, And then he was the guy, right? He beat out Joe Burrow, who goes on to be the Heisman Trophy winner. 
that spring in 2018. Joe Burrow actually a much is a better runner than Dwayne. He would have fit much more of that old Urban Meyer style, but Dwayne could sling it in such a way that they knew they had to play this guy, and then they threw. They threw the ball in a way that Urban Meyer never had. They threw the ball in a way that Ohio State football had never done before. Dwayne Haskins threw 50 touchdown passes that year. The previous record, I think, was 33 for Ohio State. He threw for 4,800 yards. The previous single-season record for Ohio State was 3,300. So he smashed all these records. And then the next year, Ryan Day becomes the head coach. And since then, they've thrown. Justin Fields, C.J. Stroud, who those guys were both Heisman finalists, just like Dwayne was. Dwayne starts it. He starts the the idea of Ohio State is going to throw the ball with a quarterback who has that kind of skill. And so Urban Meyer had a little trouble with it. He admitted that during the season. He wasn't used to this kind of quarterback. But Dwayne was so skilled, they know they had to do it. And then he set up everything else that has come after that because Ryan Day wants a quarterback like that. He wants an NFL quarterback who can throw and Dwayne forever will be the first guy who was like that, which is why Ohio State fans will never forget him. The stats that Dwayne Haskins put up in his 2018 season for Ohio State were eye-popping. Is Dwayne Haskins' 2018 season the greatest season for a quarterback in Buckeyes history? I CJ Stroud's season last year was pretty good, but like, and CJ Stroud might have a better year this year, but but right now, I, I think pretty indisputably, yes, that's the case. I mean, he threw, um, I think, for 499 yards in the Big Ten championship game. He threw six touchdown passes against Michigan that year when Ohio State scored 62 on Michigan when Michigan had the number one ranked defense in the country. I think it was, you know, it was an interesting year that year. He was one of three Heisman finalists with Kyler Murray and Tua Tonga-Vailoa. And Dwayne was pretty clearly third in that voting. They lost to Purdue that year. Pretty big upset. I think if Ohio State beats Purdue and Ohio State is a playoff team that year, I think there's a chance Dwayne Haskins wins the Heisman. Because the numbers were so off the charts and um, just never seen, not just at Ohio State, but like in the Big Ten before. The Big Ten doesn't throw the ball like that. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's yes, it's the best quarterback season in, in Ohio State history. Troy Smith won the Heisman, right, in 2006. He had a great year that year, too. But 4,800 passing yards and 50 touchdowns, yes, that was the best season for a Buckeye quarterback. There has been a lot written and said about the relationship between Dwayne Haskins and Urban Meyer. What was their relationship exactly? So Dwayne Haskins was a guy who um, kind of was in some ways destined to be an Ohio State quarterback. Everybody, I think, has seen the video of Dwayne as a 10-year-old touring the Ohio State football building in an Ohio State jersey saying, hey, I want to be an Ohio State quarterback one day. So they recruited him, but they actually got a commitment from a different quarterback in Dwayne's recruiting class, and Dwayne committed to Maryland. And then the other quarterback decommitted from Ohio State, and they kind of went back to Dwayne because he just didn't, he didn't necessarily fit 
what they wanted to do, right? But Urban Meyer said he had never seen a high school quarterback who could throw the ball like Dwayne. So they felt they sort of had to do, had to go after this guy, even if he didn't necessarily fit what they wanted to do. And then they wind up in a situation where Joe Burrow is here, and Joe Burrow is is a good quarterback. No one's sure how, how great he's going to be. Um, but the idea that Dwayne just like almost like forced his way onto the field, it, 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 it wasn't, it was, a, it was a bit of a square peg in a round hole, but Dwayne was so good. They had to play him. And then that year, I always laughed that they didn't say a lot of good things about Dwayne publicly that year because Dwayne knew he was good. I always was like, man, they don't they don't need to say good stuff about Dwayne because Dwayne doesn't need that. I think they were very cognizant of like, hey, let's make sure we try to keep Dwayne grounded a little bit because Dwayne is, I think, the most confident player that I've covered at Ohio State. I loved the way Dwayne Haskins handled himself, but um, you know, it was a, it was a crazy year. It was the year that Urban Meyer was suspended. Um, for some games, it was that crazy off season when uh, off field stuff happened at Ohio State, and Dwayne we kept on going. Nick Bosa got hurt that year and was lost for the year, and Dwayne Haskins kept this team moving. So um, I think I think Urban, you know, had a hard time a little bit with the style of quarterback, but I think he respected the fact that Dwayne Haskins was right in the middle of Ohio State, still being a top-five college football team that year. We're talking Dwayne Haskins with Doug LaMaurice, columnist for Cleveland.com and the co-host of the Buckeye Talk podcast and of the College Football Survivor Show podcast. So something that you've already referenced is really one of the more fascinating things about the Dwayne Haskins Ohio State story, and that thing is that he was chosen as the Buckeyes' starting quarterback over Joe Burrow, leading to Burrow in May 2018, transferring to LSU. What exactly happened there? Did Haskins flat out beat Burrow in a quarterback competition, or was there more to what happened than just that? No, it was that. It was that. I mean, that that spring game uh, in 2018 was a really big deal. You know, they had 15 practices in spring football to go head-to-head, and... Dwayne, I wrote off that spring game that like it had to be Dwayne. It just has to be Dwayne. The way he throws the ball, it, it, it like there's no choice. Like Joe's good. Joe's good. It, and and I know you know people's like, how could you let this guy who turns into Joe Burrow, Heisman winner, number one pick, Super Bowl quarterback, Joe Burrow? What a huge mistake! How could Ohio State let him transfer? It's because Dwayne Haskins beat him out. All of us, nobody at Ohio State, nobody covering Ohio State, there weren't fans who thought, what are they doing? How can they let Joe Burrow go? It was like, no, Dwayne Haskins is better. So, you know, we know what happened since then. All credit to Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow was a good quarterback at Ohio State. He became a great quarterback after he left. But Dwayne Haskins legitimately won that competition. There wasn't any loyalty. There wasn't any something that they owed somebody anything. You know, Dwayne Haskins had helped save the Michigan game the year before in 2017, but in those 15 practices in in March and April of 2018, Dwayne Haskins beat out a guy who went on to be one of the best college quarterbacks in the history of college football because that's how good Dwayne Haskins was. 
Yeah, that really was something. Now, things obviously did not work out for Dwayne Haskins with Washington. Were you surprised by that? Yeah, I liked Dwayne as a prospect. I really did. I mean, I, I was there with him at the NFL Combine. I thought he had a great moment. You know, everybody gathered around his podium at his interview session. You knew that I mean, he's a drop-back, old-style quarterback. He's Dan Marino, right? I mean, he's Ben Roethlisberger. He's, he's, a, he's not a guy who's going to move around and make a lot of plays with his legs in an era where almost everybody does that. So if you're going to take him, you had to be aware of that, and you had to plan for that. And I thought the Giants should have taken him at six instead of Daniel Jones. Everybody was surprised when that happened. I was surprised when that happened. And I just thought, you know, get the offense in place to fit his skill set, and he will be a good NFL quarterback. So, you know, obviously from the outside, not knowing what happened, it felt like he got put in a tough situation uh, with the Washington franchise that had a lot of problems. Um, And I, I do think all the things that I loved, I love, I love Dwayne Haskins. I love covering him. I love his approach. Um, and I, and I just, I love his self-assuredness and, and his likability and his, I just love the whole package, but uh, you know, I don't know if that translated as well in the NFL as it did at Ohio state, where it was exactly what he needed at Ohio state. Um, but I just think in a different spot, he could have been a starting quarterback for sure in the NFL. You just had to had to set up your offense to take advantage of what he did well, which is be a big pocket passer who's a point guard and has good vision, understands defenses, can sling it, and can get the ball out. But you've got to play to his strengths, and I just don't know if, if anybody in the NFL ever did. Yeah, I mean, there was a lot to why Dwayne Haskins didn't work out with Washington. There were work ethic problems for sure, but there's no doubt he was drafted into a toxic situation. The owner of the team, Dan Snyder, ordered the selection of Dwayne with the number 15 pick in the 2019 NFL draft. The head coach of the team at the time, Jake Rudin, didn't want it. Dwayne Haskins to be taken with that pick. Other football people in the organization did not want Dwayne to be taken with that pick. So, There was a lot going on. One of the more moving tributes to Dwayne Haskins was what Terry McLaurin posted on Twitter on Saturday night. Uh, Terry has been so good for Washington over his three seasons with the team. If you don't mind me asking you some non-Dwayne Haskins questions here, from an Ohio State perspective, did you think that Terry would end up being what he has been as an NFL receiver? No. Uh, I love Terry McLaurin. Terry McLaurin is was like a 20-year-old, you know, CEO <laughs> as a player. That guy, that guy had his stuff together. He was so mature. Um, I loved talking to Terry. And it was a transition. He was in this transitional era of Ohio State football where they moved from a, you know, a dual-threat quarterback to a throwing quarterback. And it was hard to tell how good he was. It was, it was really hard to tell. You knew he was fast. You knew he was a good route runner. I didn't know if he was dynamic and explosive enough. I, you know, I thought he'd be a, a solid NFL player. I knew he was a great guy. Um, but that he is this feels like, man, I, I, they 
they missed it a little bit at Ohio State with Terry McLaurin because they did not take advantage of his skill. I mean, I think he had you know 400 receiving yards his last years. I mean, it's like you know it wasn't huge, and it's like man, this guy's a number one receiver in the NFL. So um, I did not see it, but I think he was a little bit hidden in plain sight at Ohio State, just with the way they did things. Even when they threw it his last year, they spread it around. They threw the slot receivers a lot they didn't get it out to him as much um but he is as good of a guy as good of a dude as i've been around so get him in your locker room and i i I knew he'd be a big locker room guy i didn't know he'd be a number one receiver like he is yeah terry mclaurin has been great as a washington receiver especially when you consider all of the quarterbacks with whom terry has played over his three seasons with Washington. While we're talking receivers, so the Commanders have the number 11 pick in the 2022 NFL Draft. Uh, The belief is that they may well take a receiver with that pick. Ron Rivera was at the Ohio State Pro Day, presumably scouting Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave. Olave reportedly was to have visited the Commanders this past Thursday. What are your thoughts on what Wilson and Olave could be as NFL receivers? Yeah, I think Olave might be a lot like Terry McLaurin. Actually, I mean, he's kind of like a that that deep threat guy. He's he's fast. He's a good route runner. Uh, I think there are there are some similarities there. That I, those are two guys to me that have the ability to take a top off a of defense. Um, I think I think Garrett Wilson is just a little more um, explosive, dynamic. Big. He's not tall, but he has a good wingspan, and he can jump. He has a good catch radius. He's a yards-after-catch kind of guy. So I think both Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson are going to be successful NFL receivers. I've always leaned a little bit more towards Garrett Wilson. Um, I, I think he has a chance to be truly special. I think... Garrett Wilson's super smart. I I call him Professor Football. Like I love talking football with Garrett Wilson. Uh, he really understands the game and he really gets after it. And Chris Olave is, is a little more low key uh, than Garrett, but Chris Olave is just like smooth and fluid um, and will drop a double move on you and see in the end zone. So it depends how you want to fit something in your offense. You know, I think Garrett Wilson is the best receiver in the draft. Um, certainly Drake London's right there. And then I think Chris Olave is is right in the next group. So I, if I were ranking them, I'd probably have Garrett Wilson, number one receiver, and Chris Olave, like, number three or number four receiver. Um, but I think they're both going to make it in a pretty big way. Yeah, there certainly seems to be a loaded receiver class for this 2022 draft. Doug, excellent piece on Dwayne Haskins. Thank you so much for joining me, and all the best to you. Thanks for having me. All right, good stuff from Doug LaMaurice on Dwayne Haskins and more. Up next are the Nationals now up for sale. I'll react to a major report on Monday afternoon on the learners potentially now trying to sell the Nats, including what this could mean for Juan Soto. All right, so we're all busy and we're all dealing with inflation, but we all need to eat and we all want to eat food that tastes good and is good for you. And so that's why you should try HelloFresh. 
HelloFresh is great. Uh, with HelloFresh, you get farm-fresh, pre-portioned ingredients and seasonal recipes delivered right to your home and at an affordable price. Ingredients travel from the farm to your doorstep in under a week, so they always arrive fresh, all without a trip to the grocery store or to the farmer's market. You see, HelloFresh is all about convenience. Not only do the ingredients come pre-portioned so you're not overbuying or wasting food, but HelloFresh makes it easy to get filling meals on the table quickly. So stop wasting your time worrying about when you're going to buy food and what you're going to buy and what you should make and what the kids will eat. Try HelloFresh. We've tried HelloFresh and we love it. Uh, just this month, we've had saucy pork burrito bowls, Italian chicken, and Southwest beef with pasta. All of it has been outstanding and healthy and my four-year-old son, who never wants to eat what we give him, eats HelloFresh. That's the ultimate endorsement. Trust me. Also, HelloFresh will work with you. You can pick your favorite meals from 50 different weekly options. You can customize meals. You can skip weeks when needed. You can change your delivery date all on the HelloFresh app. So here's what you do. Go to HelloFresh.com slash Galdi16 and use the code Galdi16 for up to 16 free meals and three free gifts. Again, that's HelloFresh.com slash Galdi16. Use the code Galdi16 for up to 16 free meals and three free gifts. One more time, HelloFresh.com slash Galdi16. Use the code Galdi16 for up to 16 free meals and three free gifts. HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. 
No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. All right, before we get to what happened with the Nationals at the Atlanta Braves on Monday night, we need to address the major Nats news that broke on Monday afternoon. Uh, we on Monday afternoon had a report from Barry's Verluga, columnist for the Washington Post, that the learners have begun exploring the possibility of making, quote, changes in the club's ownership structure, end quote, and that the changes include a potential sale of the team. Yes, the Nats may well be up for sale. And Nats manager Davey Martinez during his pregame press conference on Monday afternoon confirmed that the learners have begun the process of seeking new investors or potentially selling the team. Uh, Barry reported that the learners have hired New York Investment Bank Allen & Company to research potential investors and buyers, said Nats managing principal owner Mark Lerner to Barry in a statement, quote, this is an exploratory process, so there is no set timetable or expectation of a specific outcome. The organization is as committed as ever to their employees, players, fans, sponsors, and partners into putting a competitive product on the field, end quote. Uh, there is a lot to be thinking about here. Uh, there are a number of potential ramifications here. First of all, my sense is that once you as an ownership group are exploring the possibility of making, quote, changes in the club's ownership structure, end quote, and you're not dismissing the possibility of selling the team, uh, you are basically telling everyone that the team is up for sale. Now, the learners always have marched to the beat of their own drum in terms of how the learners do business. So I don't put anything past them. In other words, maybe the learners do ultimately just end up taking on some minority investors. But generally speaking, if you are thinking of selling or are open to the possibility of selling, then you're selling. Uh, We obviously don't know for sure how Barry's Verluga got this intel. We do know that Barry has had intel on the learners before. It's not a stretch to say that Barry has a good relationship with the learners. Uh, Mark Lerner essentially confirmed Barry's reporting via that statement. And so it's possible that the learners leaked this to Barry's Verluga. And if that's the case, then that's even more reason to believe that the Nats are up for sale, because why otherwise would the learners have leaked this? Why otherwise would the learners have put this out there? Now, as for why the learners would be wanting to sell the Nats, or at least would be wanting to sell part of the Nats, because the phrase, quote, changes in the club's ownership structure, end quote, clearly speak to taking on a minority investor or minority investors. Uh, You know, Mark Lerner has said that the learners would never sell the Nats. Uh, Mark Lerner became the Nats managing principal owner in June 2018. He at the time said to the Washington Post, quote, we will never sell the Nationals. That's what we've worked to get all those years. We think we do a pretty good job of it. There's no intention of this family. Certainly while I'm alive and my sisters and brothers-in-law are alive, nobody's going to sell this team, end quote. So why now would the learners be open to selling 
The Nats. Uh, well, uh, I am not the learner's personal accountant, okay? I'm not the learner's financial advisor, uh, but there is reason to believe that the learners may be having a cash flow problem. And I know that that may sound odd, but it actually isn't that odd when you think about it. Yes, the learners are worth billions of dollars, but just because you are worth billions of dollars doesn't mean that you have billions of dollars on hand. Uh, We've talked about the owner of the commanders, Dan Snyder potentially, having a cash flow problem. Uh, That may well be why he needed that debt waiver from the NFL to buy out his three now former disgruntled minority partners in Dwight Shaw, Robert Rothman, and Fred Smith last year. But what are the learners best known for in terms of how the learners made their money? Commercial real estate, right? What got absolutely bludgeoned over the last few years thanks to the COVID-19 pandemic and the resulting shutdowns and restrictions? Commercial real estate. Now, add to that the fact that the learners, also because of the pandemic, got totally robbed of the financial windfall that they should have enjoyed off the Nats winning the World Series in 2019. You know, winning a World Series usually is worth millions of dollars to a team via increased ticket sales, increased merchandise sales, etc. Well, we had zero fans at games at Nationals Park in the 2020 season. We had restricted attendance at Nationals Park for a good bit of the 2021 season, and ain't nobody expecting spectacular attendance numbers for the Nats this season, given the rebuilding state of the team. And now add to that the never-ending Masson dispute and the tens of millions of dollars that the Nats seemingly have lost out on over the years because of the team's mess of a regional cable television situation. Um, It's not implausible. It's not unfathomable to think that the learners might be having a cash flow problem. Uh, That would explain the learners potentially going back on their word of never selling the team. You know, it really is something for all of the talk for a while now of Dan Snyder potentially being out as owner of the commanders. It may well be the learners who end up being out as owners of a major Washington, D.C. sports team. Uh, From purely a baseball standpoint, who owns a team is a huge deal. You know, the phrase, everything starts at the top, is cliche, but that phrase is true. I mean, bad ownership can wreck a franchise. Good ownership can bring a franchise to glory. There certainly have been nits to pick with the learners, but here is the bottom line. The learners have spent on players. Uh, The Nats per Cots baseball contracts ranked in the top 10 in MLB in year-end 40-man payroll in each of eight consecutive seasons, 2013 through 2020. Calling the learners cheap as baseball owners is not fair and is wrong. The learners have not been cheap as owners of the Nats. Now, do the learners love to have deferred money in player contracts? Yes. Uh, Do the learners love to not pay much to managers and even general managers, so much so that we had something like the Bud Black embarrassment in 2015? Yes. Uh, But the learners have spent big on players, and the learners deserve a lot of credit for that. Uh, But here's something to consider. If the learners are truly trying to sell the Nats, and if this process of a sale takes a while, uh, what does that mean for Juan Soto? I mean, if you own a team and you're trying to sell that team, does it behoove you to be signing a player to a $400-plus million contract extension and saddling the next owner 
with a contract like that. Now, maybe the answer is yes, because Juan Soto is a franchise player, and a new owner would see the Nats as being even more valuable with a guy like Soto under a long-term contract. But there is a line of thinking of when you're trying to sell a team or a company, you cut costs so as to make buying the team or company more appealing. If the learners subscribe to that thinking, then there ain't no way that they'll be doing all that they can do to sign Soto to a long-term contract. And if the process of selling the Nats takes a while, then you, the Nationals fan, could end up being screwed by all of this in that Juan Soto ends up saying, the heck with this, this team isn't even trying to lock me up long-term. I'm on the doorstep of free agency. Uh, See ya. I'm going to hit the open market after the 2024 season. So the potential domino effect of the learners being open to selling the Nats really is big. Uh, But we would appear to have a ways to go. And there are a number of ways that this situation could play out. Uh, The Learners bought the Nats in 2006 for $450 million. Uh, 2006 was the year after the franchise relocated to Washington, D.C. from Montreal. Forbes in March valued the Nats as being worth $2 billion, uh, making the Nats the 12th most valuable team in MLB. Uh, By the way, that valuation ranking should be much higher. Washington, D.C. is a top 10 television market. A Major League Baseball team in Washington, D.C. should be a top 10 team in MLB in terms of franchise valuation. The Commanders are a top 10 team in the NFL in terms of franchise valuation per Forbes. This Masson situation has devalued the Nats. The Nats have missed out on major money because of this massive mess, which feels like it'll never be over. But, you know, you think about this. I mean, maybe this thing of the learners now being open to selling the Nats is as simple as the learners wanting to cash out on a $450 million investment that now is worth $2 billion and maybe much more than $2 billion. So, you know, again, there are things here that we don't know and things here that we may come to know. But whatever the case, the future of the ownership of the Nats now is in question. Well, the Nationals over their one and three start to their 2022 regular season totaled just eight runs. The Nats on Monday night scored 11 runs. Uh, Yeah, you could say that the Nats lineup busted out on Monday night. The Nats improved to two and three with an 11-2 win at the Atlanta Braves on Monday night. Uh, This was a pounding of the reigning, defending World Series champion Atlanta Braves. This was a game worthy of Nats manager Davey Martinez being, wait for it, proud of the boys. I'm proud of the boys. Yes, Davey, exactly. Uh, The Nats on Monday night, 11 runs, including a five-run third and a five-run eighth, 15 hits, seven walks, seven for 23 with runners in scoring position. So much to like from the Nats lineup on Monday night. Basically, everyone got in on the act. Uh, the star of the game was Michael Franco. He was the Nats starting third baseman and number eight batter. He went four for five with a homer, a double, two singles, and five RBI. You know, Franco struggled in the Nats season opening series against the New York Mets at Nationals Park. Uh, really didn't do much 
of anything over the four games, although he did have a single in his last plate appearance in the series, and Franco was on fire on Monday night. Top of the second, a one-out single to left field. Uh, Franco in the Nats' five-run third had a two-out, two-run homer to left field for a 5-1 Nats lead. Franco in the top of the fifth had a two-out opposite field single to right field. Franco in the Nats' five-run eighth had a two-out, three-run opposite field double to right field for an 11-1 Nats lead. Uh, Also, Lane Thomas had a nice game. Uh, Thomas was the Nats' starting center fielder and number seven batter as Victor Robles, very interestingly, for a second consecutive game, did not start. Uh, He did come off the bench, actually had a bases loaded hit by pitch, Uh, but Thomas, two for five with a double, a single, and three RBI. He did strike out three times, but Thomas in the Nats' five-run third had a two-out, two-run double off the left center field wall for a 3-1 Nats lead, despite having been down in the count at 1.02. Thomas in the Nats, one-run seventh, a one-out RBI single to center field for a 6-1 Nats lead. The hit came off Braves reliever Tucker Davidson, who had just come into the game. Uh, As for the Nats, big boppers. Uh, They were productive on Monday night. Juan Soto was the Nats starting right fielder and number two batter. He went one for four with a single and two walks. Nelson Cruz was an ad starting DH and number three batter. He went one for four with a single and two walks. And how about the first of Cruz's two walks? Top of the fourth, a one out, 11 pitch walk, despite having been down at the count at one point. One, two. Uh, Josh Bell was an ad starting first baseman at number four batter. He went two for five with two RBI singles and a walk. Andy was responsible for some nifty base running. Bell in the Nats, one run seventh, drew a leadoff seven pitch walk, then scored from second on Lane Thomas's one out RBI single to center field on a close play at home plate as Bell slid around the tag of Braves catcher Manny Pena. Uh, that was impressive. Uh, also, Cesar Hernandez was the Nats starting second baseman and number one batter. He went two for five with two singles and a walk. Uh, Yadiel Hernandez was an at starting left fielder and number six batter. He went two for three with two singles and a walk. Uh, Just a lot of production from the Nats up and down their lineup. I do think that the Nats will hit this season. Uh, Pitching is the bigger concern, but the Nats pitching on Monday night was good for a second consecutive game. So Josh Rogers was the Nats starting pitcher. Uh, the Nats on Monday recalled Rodgers from AAA Rochester and placed Anibal Sanchez on the 10-day injured list with a cervical neck impingement. You know, it's interesting how things can work out. Anibal Sanchez made the Nats season opening rotation. Josh Rogers did not. I think there's actually a compelling case that Rodgers should have made the Nats season opening rotation over Sanchez, who didn't even pitch in the majors last season. Rodgers did and pitched pretty well for the Nats, but this ends up working out to where Rodgers gets Sanchez's start to begin the season in terms of the first turn of the Nats rotation. Uh, Rodgers on Monday night was good. He allowed one run in five and a third innings in what was the best of the five outings by Nats starting pitchers so far this season. Uh, Rodgers gave up just two hits, a double and a single. He issued two walks. He recorded three strikeouts. He threw 74 pitches, 46 strikes versus 28 balls. Uh, Rodgers at one point retired 10 consecutive Braves batters. Uh, Rodgers in the bottom of the first gave up a run on a leadoff double by Ozzy Albies on a 1-2 pitch and a two-out RBI single by Marcelo Zuna. But otherwise, Josh Rodgers got the job done 
on Monday night, just as he got the job done for the Nats at the Major League level last season. Uh, The Nats initially signed Josh Rogers as a free agent last June of him having been released by the Orioles. So think about that. Josh Rogers was released by the pitching-starved Orioles, uh, but Rogers in the 2021 regular season for the Nats at the Major League level made six starts, totaled 35 and two-thirds innings, and had an ERA of 328. In fact, Rogers over his first four Major League starts for the Nats in the 2021 regular season, over 25 innings, had an ERA of 216. So he was good. Now, I don't think anyone's going crazy over this, but he was good late last season, and he was good uh, Monday night. You know, Josh Rogers, prior to last season, had not pitched in a Major League regular season game since 2019. Uh, the O's got Rogers from the New York Yankees in the trade of reliever Zach Britton to the Yankees in July 2018. He's a fun guy to watch. He does this, like, body-rocking thing on the mound, and he, so far, during his tenure with the Nats, has been a good pitcher. So really nice to see Josh Rogers do as he did on Monday night. Uh, and then there was the Nats bullpen, uh, which on Monday night was good for a third consecutive game. Three Nats relievers combined to allow one run in three and two-thirds innings with five strikeouts. Uh, Victor Arano tossed one and two-thirds perfect innings with three strikeouts. He was excellent. Uh, Arano entered the game in the bottom of the sixth with a runner on first and one out, retired the two batters he faced, including striking out Austin Riley on three consecutive swinging strikes off Riley, having been ahead of the count 2-0. Arano then tossed a perfect bottom of the seventh with two strikeouts. Uh, Hunter Harvey, the former Oriole, uh, tossed a perfect bottom of the eighth in his Nats debut. Uh, Harvey looked great. His fastball topped out at 99.2 miles per hour. So Monday night was a former Orioles pitcher's night for the Nats with Josh Rogers starting and Hunter Harvey coming in relief and each guy doing quite well. Uh, Patrick Murphy did give up a run in the bottom of the ninth, but overall hard to complain about much of anything from Monday night. Great game by the Nats, 11-2 the final at the Braves in game one of a three-game series. Game two at the Braves, Tuesday night at 7-20. Patrick Corbin will be the Nats starting pitcher. Well, the Nationals in the 2022 regular season lost their first three games before winning a game, and the same now is true of the Orioles. Uh, The O's suffered a season-opening three-game sweep at the Tampa Bay Rays, but the O's on Monday afternoon won their home opener. Uh, They improved to 1-3 and with a 2-0 win over the Milwaukee Brewers at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. And so... For the first time in the 2022 regular season, the O's, Joe Angel, are where exactly? And the Orioles again in the win column. Yes, Joe, the win column. That is precisely where the O's are. Uh, Monday was very much a feel-good day for the Orioles. Uh, The O's won in shutout fashion. The Orioles starting pitcher was Bruce Zimmerman, who is a Maryland native. Uh, The game took place in front of an announced sellout crowd of 44,461 as the O's are beginning their 30th anniversary season at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. And Orioles chairman and CEO John Angelos earlier in the day announced 
that the Maryland State Legislature has, quote, passed an historic initiative committing $1.2 billion in public funding from the state of Maryland for reinvestment in and reimagination of the Camden Yards Sports Complex. This marks the second largest public commitment of funding to a Major League Baseball public-private sports partnership, second only to the 2009 construction of the new Yankee Stadium, end quote. So all kinds of good stuff for the O's on Monday. You know, there has been some talk in recent years of the Orioles perhaps moving, i.e. relocating at some point, uh, especially if the Angelos family sells the team as has been anticipated at once the patriarch of the Angelos family, Peter Angelos, passes away. But that announcement from John Angelos on Monday that the Maryland State Legislature has committed $1.2 billion in public funding from the state of Maryland for reinvestment in and reimagination of the Candid Yard Sports Complex, uh, that would seem to be reason to believe that the O's aren't going anywhere. Uh, The Orioles' offense this season does remain off to a slow start. Uh, Cedric Mullins on Monday afternoon as the Orioles' starting center fielder and number one batter had the big hit, a two-out, two-run single in the bottom of the second for the game's only runs. Uh, Anthony Santander on Monday afternoon as the Orioles' starting right fielder and number three batter had a good day, double single and two walks. But otherwise, not much happening really for the O's offensively. But the Orioles' pitching on Monday afternoon was very good. Uh, Bruce Zimmerman and four relievers combined on the shutout. Uh, Zimmerman tossed four scoreless innings. He had four strikeouts. He gave up three hits, two doubles, and a single. He issued two walks. He threw 66 pitches, 42 strikes versus 24 balls. Uh, You know, some people are like, hey, can't you leave the guy in the game beyond the four innings? He's only thrown 66 pitches, but because of these condensed spring training camps, uh, most starting pitchers right now are not lasting for very long in games. We certainly have seen that with the Nationals, and uh, we have seen that with the Orioles. Now, some of this is just these pitchers either not being very good or not doing very well, uh, but Zimmerman on Monday afternoon was doing well, but manager Brandon Hyde playing it cautious, playing it conservative, and I was fine with that. You know, Bruce Zimmerman is one of many young Orioles pitchers who you really want to see take a step forward this season. This is Zimmerman's age 27 season, so it's not like he's super young, but he is younger. Uh, The O's acquired Zimmerman from the Atlanta Braves in the July 2018 trade that sent starting pitcher Kevin Gaussman and reliever Darren O'Day to the Braves. Uh, Zimmerman began the Orioles' 2021 regular season as their number three starter, but he struggled and he missed a sizable chunk of the season due to injury. Uh, The Orioles last June 18th put Zimmerman on the 10-day injured list, retroactive to June 15th with left biceps tendonitis. Then Zimmerman sprained his right ankle in a weight room accident following five scoreless and hitless innings in a rehab outing for AAA Norfolk last August 10th. Then the O's on August 15th transferred Zimmerman to the 60-day injured list, and the O's on September 28th reinstated Zimmerman from the 60-day injured list. So he missed a lot of time last season, but a nice start for Zimmerman to his 2022 regular season. But also for the O's on Monday afternoon was some bad news. Uh, The Orioles on Monday afternoon announced three roster moves all having to do with pitchers. The O's put pitcher Dean Kramer on the 10-day injured list retroactive to April 8th 
with a left oblique strain. The O's selected the contract of pitcher Spencer Watkins from AAA Norfolk, and the O's recalled pitcher Alexander Wells from AAA Norfolk. But the big takeaway here is Kramer. He's out now with a left oblique strain, and he seemingly is going to be out for multiple weeks, maybe a month, maybe more. I mean, you never know with these obliques. Uh, Kramer suffered his left oblique strain while warming up in the bullpen during the Orioles game on Sunday afternoon, that 8-0 loss at the Rays. Uh, Tyler Wells in that game was supposed to be the first part of a tandem start. In a tandem start, each pitcher is expected to go, say, four innings. Well, Tyler Wells lasted for just one and two-thirds innings. He allowed four runs in one and two-thirds innings. All four runs came in the bottom of the second. Kramer, during that game, while warming up in the bullpen, apparently suffered this left oblique strain. So he's out for a while here, and that's bad. Uh, And it's bad in multiple ways. A, the O's need all of the pitching help that they can get, but B, Kramer, like Zimmerman, a young Orioles pitcher who you really want to see take a step forward this season. Uh, The 2022 season is Kramer's age 26 season. Uh, The O's acquired Kramer from the Los Angeles Dodgers in the trade package for third baseman slash shortstop Manny Machado in July 2018. Kramer in the 2021 regular season at the major league level for the O's made 13 starts, totaled 53 and two-thirds innings. He had an ERA of 755. Uh, the O's during the 2021 regular season twice demoted Dean Kramer to AAA Norfolk. Maybe the single worst outing by any Orioles pitcher in any game last season was a Dean Kramer outing. And that's saying something because there were many atrocious outings by Orioles pitchers last season. But Kramer in a 9-0 Orioles loss to the Toronto Blue Jays in Buffalo last June 24th allowed six runs and recorded just one out. So yeah, I mean, there is a ways to go for Dean Kramer as there is a ways to go for a Keegan Aiken as there is a ways to go for a Bruce Zimmerman here. You just want one or more of these guys to step forward this season, and now we're going to have to wait at least a little while longer for the stepping forward to begin for Dean Kramer. Uh, Game two for the O's against the Brewers at Oriole Park at Camden Yards is on Tuesday night at 7.05. The O's, as of early Tuesday morning, had not yet announced a starting pitcher for the game. And before we call it a show, I do want to acknowledge good news for Georgetown basketball on Monday afternoon. Uh, The Hoyas on Monday afternoon announced the addition of LSU transfer Brandon Murray. Uh, Brandon Murray had been arguably the top transfer in the NCAA transfer portal, and he's going to Georgetown. Uh, Brandon Murray is a 6'5 guard from Baltimore. He has three years of eligibility remaining. Uh, He was named to the 2022 SEC All-Freshman team. You know, there has been such little good news for Georgetown for months now, uh, with the Hoyas having gone 0-20 in Big East games this past season, and the Hoyas having recently announced the entries of four players into the NCAA transfer portal, but the landing of Brandon Murray is very good news, and what's pretty obvious is that head coach Patrick Ewing's new assistant coach, Kevin Nickelberry, was key in the Hoyas getting Murray. Uh, Nickelberry came to Georgetown in March following a three-year stint at LSU. 
uh, for which Nickelberry served primarily as an assistant coach and was the director of recruiting for the Tigers. Uh, Kevin Nickelberry is a former head coach for Howard and Hampton. Uh, Georgetown has been so desperate for some good news, and we on Monday afternoon finally had some good Georgetown news, so great to be able to say that. And that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Wednesday show, episode 291, will feature a special guest, Commander's Insider, Ben Standig of The Athletic, as we are going to do a deep dive on the Commander's roster. Uh, We're now deep into free agency, and the Commander's major free agent moves seemingly are done. Uh, We now are nearly two weeks away from the start of the 2022 NFL Draft. And so Ben and I will explore the state of the Commander's roster in part one of a two-part series on our podcast. Uh, Part one will be on my podcast, on Wednesday's show. Uh, Also on Wednesday's show, I'll talk Capitals. The Caps will host the Philadelphia Flyers Tuesday night at 7. I will talk Nationals. Game 2 for the Nats at the Atlanta Braves is on Tuesday night at 7.20. And I'll talk Orioles. Game 2 for the O's against the Milwaukee Brewers at Oriole Park at Camden Yards is on Tuesday night at 7.05. Have a great rest of your Tuesday, and I'll talk to you on Wednesday. My sex life is nothing. My wife cut me out to once a month. Cut me out to once a month. Oh, I'm lucky. Two guys I know she cut out completely. <laughs> I'll tell you one thing, though. When I have sex with my wife, it's like magic. As soon as I get in bed, she disappears. <laughs> oh, the other night, she met me at the front door wearing a see-through negligee. The only trouble is, she was coming home. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.